content, information, and opinions expressed during the related show are those of the show personalities and guest alone, and not those of Vic Canellis Media Group, its parent, affiliates, or stations. VCMG Live is not responsible for any content, information, or opinions expressed. User bears full responsibility for their reliance on such content, information, or opinions. Monday night time once again for Ira on Sports. True Oldies Channel, I'm Mike Balsamo. And we are live tonight. Did a few uh, tape shows. But we're glad to be live. But unfortunately, Ira's not in studio. But Ira, you have a great reason for not being here. Where are you? I'm in Las Vegas, Nevada, home of the most watched Super Bowl of all time. And uh, so I'm here right after the game. We'll talk about the whole game and about I did not attend the game. It was <laughs> shocking. But, it, you know, people want to talk about those ticket prices. They were exactly. I did not predict. And you and I both were wrong on the on the outcome of the game, but I predicted exactly what the ticket prices were going to be. So I wish I was as lucky on the ticket pricing as I was. I mean, on the game as I was about the ticket price. Yeah, me betting against Patrick Mahomes has not worked out well for me this year. But like you said, we're going to talk all about that tonight. Of course, you can follow Ira, get some great pictures and videos uh, from the Super Bowl at Ira on Sports. Emilio Nava is going to join us at 7.55. Ira, tell us about Emilio. Great young tennis player. You know, we had uh, about five, four years, a couple years ago, not five years ago, about three years or four years ago, we had uh, Francis Tiafo on the show. And uh, he was just this up-and-coming young American, and then suddenly he became, you know, top 15 in the world. Amelia is in the like right out of the top 100, but everyone says he's fantastic. I have not seen him play live. I'll see him play live this week. He's playing the Delray Tennis Tournament uh, where you have Taylor Fritz, Tommy Paul, TFO is going to be in that. It's an awesome tournament, and we'll talk about that a little later. But no, I'm, loved, I'm glad we're having Amelia on. His favorite athlete is Mike Tyson. So it's great for a tennis player to have his favorite athlete is Mike Tyson. And especially, he's a young guy. I mean, he's like 22 years old. The fact that he probably didn't even see Tyson box, you know, when he was, uh, you know, during the uh, highlight of uh, high point of his career. Crazy stuff. Good, good interview with Emilio Nava coming up 7:55. So Ira, Super Bowl's in the books. It, it didn't go as we thought it was going to go. We both like San Francisco in this one. It wasn't the prettiest game, though. I mean, it was entertaining at the end, but it, kind of sloppy and a little disappointing, uh, at, at least on the 49ers' part, somewhat on the Chiefs' part, some of their uh, earlier possession drives. Yeah, one of these, one of these, it's one of, I think the first half is what I thought would happen. We had predicted that we said that Kansas City had been sloppy all year, Kansas offense was sputtering all year. San Francisco, in the first, I would say, quarter and a half, you know, that, that way they ran it with all their weapons displayed. I felt that was what was going to happen. It seemed like I'm watching the game. But they could not get the lead that they needed to in the first half after complete domination, which was a disaster for them. And then that third quarter, just horrendous. And I, I've been listening, like you have, to all the news shows this year, this day. And I want to tell you something. I don't think anyone has been highlighting the biggest play of the game was that fumbled punt. In a game this close, a game that went to overtime, the game that went to the final play, for the, to the 49ers to have a fumbled punt that gave you know, 15 yards for Kansas City to score a touchdown, that switched the entire momentum of the game. It was the play of the game. And I, I was just, it, it was, it was, you can't have that. That was impossible. It reminds me of what San Francisco lost to the, you know, the Giants, you know, Giants with uh, Cal, Cal Williams when he had two fumbled punts in that game. I just, this is just unbelievable in terms of what a terrible, terrible loss. 
I think, you know, for San Francisco because I felt like they had this game under control. They had the right game plan and a great win for Patrick Mahomes, a great win for the Chiefs. So let's talk about, you know, all the festivities leading up to this. So that's why you went to Vegas. You had said last week on the show that you were not anticipating going to the game. I thought you'd find your way in because you usually do. You didn't go, but there was so much to do leading up to that. It, like it really was, it was an entire week's worth of fun. Yeah, I mean, that's what we can, we're going to talk about the tickets whole thing in a second in terms of how difficult it was and how I predicted this was going to happen. And I really think the national media and the local media and every media is missing the whole point of why these prices are so high. I mean, I, the, the reason why the prices are high is because this, unlike any other sporting event you go to, whether it's high school basketball, college football, wrestling matches, I don't care what it is. If you want, got a ticket to a game, you want to sell it, just sell it. You go sell it, you stay at your friends. If it's a paper ticket, you stay outside and sell it. Anytime you can sell a ticket, what the, what the NFL has done on this ticket is they made them unsellable tickets. You can't sell a ticket. If you get the tickets through, say, Nike, and you sell the tickets, you're going to lose your job. If you get a ticket to Adidas, sell it, you're going to lose your job. So what's the point when you can make thousands of dollars losing your job? But it's not just those corporations. It's if you get your tickets through the Giants or the Jets or the 49ers or the Steelers. If they, if you sell it, you, you cannot post it on Ticketmaster. You cannot post it on StuffUp. They now, because they're all electronic, they can trace who has this ticket. They can trace what iPhone this goes to and where the tickets are gets transferred. You can't, as anyone knows, how difficult it is to transfer tickets, and it makes it impossible. So if I said there's like one hotel in town, people came in, and suddenly you take out all the hotel rooms in town, certainly the prices are going to go up. If this ticket was a resellable ticket, then I think you could get in for like $1,000. The, the ticket to get in for this game, the low it was was seventy five hundred dollars. The what it, by game time it was nine thousand, and it actually broke the way. It stayed at eight thousand almost all week. It went on Saturday when I had bought my tickets before. It's that Saturday night they go down a little bit, and I bought my tickets Saturday afternoon, Saturday night to uh, like five of the seven Super Bowls I've been to. But then it, they only went down a little bit, like seventy hundred, seventy three hundred, and then it just shot up again uh, to you know, nine, ten thousand. I mean, even the day on Sunday there was. 200 tickets available in a 60,000 seat stadium. When I went to the Raven game, there was 1,500 tickets online that was being advertised for sale on Ticketmaster, StubHub, SeatGeek, those things. So they have just, the NFL has done this, and the NFL sells these tickets. It used to be the face on these tickets were 200 $300, $400. Now the face on some of the tickets were 8000 and 10000 and 2000 and 3000 So that's what the NFL has made advantage. We're going to make money on our tickets. We're going to stop the secondary market. And this was, this was yeah, Las Vegas contributed to this. But it's not, it's not going to be just Vegas. It's going to be whether it's in Maine or if it's in Rhode Island or whatever. This game is always going to be this high because there's so few tickets and no one can – you can't buy it. You can't transfer it. There's people who go to the game that don't want to go. They don't want to go. I talked to so many people, but they can't sell tickets. It's, they have to go. It's part of their business. It's have to go, and they can't sell those tickets, and that's what makes it so difficult. Yeah, you, you, this is exactly what you said last week pretty much. You just anticipate you, – you saw the writing on the wall kind of like, I don't think I'm going to be able to finagle one of these. Um do you want to talk about Vegas itself before we talk about what you did? Because you were kind of anticipating that, too, last week. You're looking at hotel room prices, things like that, maybe thinking it's not going to be as crazy as maybe people are anticipating. It was It was a little – it wasn't as crazy as people anticipate. It was still pretty crazy. I mean, it was still a great weekend for Vegas. It wasn't. People thought it was going to be over the top when the hotel. So I think that it wasn't as crazy as I think the expectations were. I think a lot of people that normally say we're going to go to Vegas on Super Bowl weekend probably stayed away because of some of the hotel room pricing. But I think that it was still very busy all throughout the Strip and, and downtown and everything. And, I mean, look, I couldn't even get into a watch party on Sunday. So you couldn't. I mean, they were all <laughs> sold out everywhere. I mean, Yard House was like, you know – 
they were selling tickets at the yard house to watch it for a couple hundred dollars. I mean, it was insane how the the amount of people in the city. That, I went to a Guy Fieri tailgate party on uh, that was thousands of them, fifteen, sixteen thousand people there. And Guy Fieri asked him, "He goes, how many of you are going to the game?" And this was you know four or five hours before the game. Very few people would raise their hand at a at a, at a tailgate party near the stadium. So it just shows that I think the town, but it was interesting to see at the tailgate party around that it's like the NFL draft. People were wearing jerseys from the Dolphins, from the yeah. Philadelphia Eagles. And the other thing about this, it's become sort of the convention. The na- this is like the national convention of political conventions for like the Republicans and Democrats. This is like a yearly convention for NFL players. They get two free tickets to the game, but you get a lot of retired players coming in. The current players come in. This is sort of where everybody gets together and hangs out. And that was the fun thing. Like, do I regret going to this? No, I thought it was great. What I'm going to, we're going to tell all these fun things that I did. And all what I, and you don't get to do this if I stayed in West Palm beach, you know? So I think that I had two or two and a half amazing days uh, being out. And, you know, I would encourage anyone, you know, say you have a young kid and, you know, don't spend 10,000 and take a six or seven year old to a football game. That was, that's ludicrous to do, but they, these players will all sign autographs. You can stop them. Like it's unbelievable. Like if you, if you, if you, these kids, you know, I have friends who have kids that just, you know, want to fill their football. So this is the, <laughs> this is the, this is the, 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 you know, ground zero of autographs. So if you want to go get autographs, this is where to go. And you could probably leave town with like two. I had a friend who said that the, the, the deal he made with his son was that he would not eat candy. For until you know as many autographs as he got, and he says, "I think I got him to like Halloween because he got like a hundred <laughs> some autographs." So that's why when I say talking about kids in candy stores, this is like kids with autographs because there were so many NFL current and, and and past NFL players that are here, and that's what made it such a fun weekend to be here. Yeah, this is Iron Sports True Oldies channel on Mike Balsamo. Yeah, like some of the pictures and, and like athletes, you but like you, my phone was blowing up from you running into all <laughs> these sorry. these former. Was, no, was, it was great to see all these former and current players that you know you're you're rubbing elbows with check it out at Ira on Sports. One thing that stood out to me Thursday, you sent a picture of Amon Ross St. Brown, who I love, um, the sun god for Detroit. He's tiny. I, I, I was showing my friends and like because you were with a friend of yours, and like is is his friend like six foot eight because he's <laughs> dwarfing Amon Ross St. Brown. Yeah, it was first of all anybody who's a fan of Amon St. Brown just still be a fan of his. One of the nicest people you could imagine. He literally, we, a group of us, we went in the Aria, which is the place to go, the high limit lounge where we go outside. But if you just walk around the Aria, we want, we walk through, he's wearing, we noticed him. <laughs> he's wearing, he's got the blue, remember the blue hair that he had at the end of the season? It is, I thought he was determined to die. He still <laughs> has the blue hair. And he's walking around and one of our friends said, that's Amon St. Brown. And we said, can we get, and he posed one picture, posed another. And then he goes, anyone else want in the group? Like he was so cool about that. He was funny. One of my, some of my friends were from Michigan. They talked about it. They said, and he was like, thanks a lot. The support of the fans are great. I love, I'm so thankful to be playing in Detroit. I'm so blessed. I mean, it's just, you know, you know about his, his brother and his father and his, everything about, you see him on TV, but he's that guy. He really is. I mean, he is a small, but still just the heart of gold and was so friendly. I mean, we had like, what, a five-minute interaction with him, but it was tremendous to talk to him. He was a lot of fun, and, and that was a great, that was a big celebrity to run into. So what else did you do at the Aria? Because I know that's like one of the, the trendiest places in Vegas right now, right? Yeah, it was so funny. You know, it's, 
here's like the word of advice. The next Super Bowl, go to the hotel where all the like ex players are staying when they're in line trying to like line up to get their to get the room reservations. Like now, I know that Taylor Swift probably just goes and through the back door of a hotel and gets up, but most of the pro athletes have to go through like everyone else does and check actually check in a hotel. And as anyone knows, there are problems of checking in hotels, and it's these like you know like everyone. But somebody ran into some players and like well, our agent said we could get it for like seven hundred a night, but they were charging us fifteen hundred. And, and the players were great. We ran into so many of different those players there. And, and I, I ran it. We had Vince Gray on our show from Michigan, who plays in the NFL now, and he was nice. And we talked to him about you know about Michigan and excited about that. And it was pretty cool. It was that the whole um, that if you want to go to the area in the front in the front area, can't talk in Vegas next year, but wherever it is, that's pretty cool. And then in the High Limit Lounge, it's just. Everyone thought it was like a place to go to just gamble, but it really was just a lounge. They called it high living lounge. There were a couple of tables in there. But we sat there. We got a table. And there you see, like, C.D. Lamb is in there playing blackjack. Like, I mean, C.D. Lamb. Is, like, it was funny. And he's yelling at screaming. But I'll tell you, Ezekiel Elliott was in there. C.D. Lamb was having fun playing back. Ezekiel Elliott must have been playing for three hours. Total serious. Like, you could see. He was, like, as professional as you see them on TV. So it was, like, those are two of the two of the big names that I saw. In oh, and then Tyler Murray, like, walks right by. And you think Amon St. Brown is short. You should see he is, I think, shorter than Avante Brown. But he was there. I talked to him for a bit. He was pretty. He was very, very nice, and and it was pretty cool. But it's like, it's, again, it's like you're standing there, like there's C.D. Lamb, there's Ezekiel, then you're right. It's kind of and Kyler Murray was just walking around by himself. Just you know, you know, you would think, oh, he doesn't, you know, he just was all alone, just walking around. And then he, I think he played one hand of blackjack and then went somewhere else. But I thought that was really fun to go and see that. And I got for hopefully for Iron Sports, I met a lot of these players' agents, and sort of hopefully we'll bring some big names on our show. And then in the you know coming months, I hope. Ira, did you happen to see what like how much uh, CD Lamb and Ezekiel Elliott are playing per hand in blackjack? Because that'd be curious. Like, w- what's a big win for them? You're not, you're not betting a hundred dollars a hand. They got to be throwing five grand a hand out there, I would think. Well, they were on like the table. I think was like two or three thousand a hand. I mean, it was expensive. It was high. they're called the Highland Lounge. But I mean, it didn't seem like you know, these guys make so much, the millions of dollars. So it wasn't wasn't like crazy. But uh, but they're, they're not allowed. The players aren't allowed to be in. The, like someone said, would you see them? The sports books are not allowed to. Well, clearly, no player is going to walk in a sports book. That's ridiculous. But the point is that you have to walk by the sports books at these places. So, but um, it was just. I mean, it was like no. I mean, I think that they were. I didn't. I didn't see exactly. But I know what the limits are. It's you know, I guess a couple thousand a hand. But it was still. It was it was the, the approach. They were on the same table, and Ezekiel was like focused and uh, and uh, like everything. And CD's having like fun, laughing, joking. And I don't I don't know. I don't think Ezekiel Elliott was too happy. You know, he's like trying to read and CD's like going crazy. And there are other people at the table that are just people, normal like you know someone who's just playing blackjack. <laughs> so that was that was pretty fun. It's not, but it was one of those tables like that. If you saw like Kyler Murray playing by himself at the table, it's like oh I'm going to go there and start playing hands. I mean you know you're going to have to spend a lot of money to sit there at the table. Exactly. It's going to be expensive uh, to rub elbows with these guys. What else did you do on Thursday? Um, Thursday night, then we went back to the hotel, and then I was with a group of people, and we went to the win. And they had it was the excess is the name of the of the club at the win, and the uh, and the win. That was and, and the encore, the wooden encore, are two hotels that are like similar to each other, and the access is sort of in the middle of them. And Shaq had a thing called the Shaq's Funhouse, 
And you would think, oh, they just loaned his name. But Shaq was a DJ for like an hour and a half of the time. <laughs> I mean, he was the DJ playing. But he knows one thing. is raise your hand. He loves to say raise your hand. So everyone who could, probably people yelled at Shaq for not putting his hands up on defense. So that was his big signature line is raise your hands for this, raise your hands for that. But it was right in, in excess. And it was like this indoor-outdoor area, which is pretty cool. So he's like, it's where chain smokers play. So he was playing. And then, and then you could see that you're like in a club. And then they had like a pool area. So they used the pool area and the inside area. It was by the way, it was freezing cold Thursday night, freezing cold Friday night, and it was rainy Friday night. The weather was not like what you expect. You know, when we go to Vegas, anywhere in the spring or fall, and it's like 100 degrees, and in the summer, it's 200 degrees. It was cold. So it was like, I'm glad we were inside for that. And then Lil Wayne went on and played, and that was exciting to see that. So there was, that was, I think, a fun night. Did I run, Did I see a ton of celebrities? No, not so much, but just sort of Shaq, Lil Wayne, and that, that whole production of going to that, to the clubs, and going in there, which was pretty cool. And then, um, by the way, Iron Sports Trulli's channel, professional tennis player Emilio Nava joins us at 7.55. What'd you do on Friday? Oh, Friday, there's one event. I mean, if you could just go to one event besides Super Bowl, it's called the Taste of the NFL. You're like, the Taste of the NFL? Like, what is Ira talking about? And the Taste of the NFL was at this place up in, uh, up in Summerlin. It's sort of where Red Rock Casino is. And you have to go up. So it's like two or three months of the city at an event center. And they've done it. It's my third time to go to it. And they have, I would say, 40, 50 chefs there with all set up. And then in front of each chef with a tasting, it's free. You know, you pay a million dollars for the ticket. But then, but for the, then you get to see it meet a player. And some of the players were, I don't knew who they were. I had to look at their names back and forth. But some were pretty famous. I mean, some were I would recognize by just looking at it. Like Wesley Walker for the Jets. We know you know him. Jared Bunch, who played for the Giants. Nick Lowry, kicker for the Chiefs. Um, Icky Woods, that was pretty saying that this is how he bangles the, the Icky Shuffle. Um, Kyle Rudolph, I talked to him for a bit. I missed Eli Manning was there, and also was Charles Woodson, but I missed, I couldn't find him anywhere, but they said they were there. And then Eric Wright of the 49ers, and Lifford Hobley of the Miami Dolphins. So they stood there, and it's not like you have to go up to there and say, oh, could you please give me an autograph? They, they were there to sign autographs. You waited in line, and the lines weren't long at all, like the most, like four or five deep, to get some of these players to sign. They would talk about the teams. It was a, a player, a current player, Stone smart for the Chargers. He was the old Dominion quarterback who is now playing tight end for the Chargers. And it was, it's, it was cool to talk to him about, hey, now that Harbaugh comes and you're using so much you know, tight ends, are you happy about that? And his mom and dad were there like, we're nervous because he really wants to be a quarterback. And like, you have these conversations with these players. Like Lowry was talking to him about kicking and all these other things. So it was pretty cool. Kyle Rudolph was about, we're talking about Notre Dame, his time at Notre Dame. Like you're not just standing there like at an autograph show and giving them a ball and having them sign and leave. You literally can stand there and talk to them. And they're with their like family and talk to them ever. So it was pretty cool. I love that. And the food was off. I mean, you do not want to eat at all on Friday. Like you just go there and you can just go to, you can stop at every station. And it's a title Todd English, you know, Gordon Ram, you know, Todd Ramsey, like all the top chefs are there all with their little dishes that they have that their signature dishes. So I really thought that was cool. And then meet the players. I absolutely, I really love that. I thought that was like one of the coolest. I, I saw every, it gets better every single year. And this year was tremendous. And then uh, Friday night, I think you were backstage at a concert, it looked like, and you also got to you know, meet one of uh, you know, the most famous Steelers. <laughs> well, this is amazing. So I have a friend. It's good to have friends in high places or whatever, but I have a friend who was actually working with running the event. And, and it's one of those things when you go to an event and you get a wristband, you don't know where you're going with that wristband. And there's like five levels or seven levels of where the wristband is. And we're walking around with a group of us, and then one of my friends, texted me and said, Ira, just so you know, 
that wristband goes everywhere. Like we're at the tippy top of the wristband, like of the of the chain of command. The wristband hierarchy. <laughs> yeah, the hierarchy. Like I'm behind the stage, and then I couldn't find it. I was like behind the stage, like where? And it was like really, like it was almost literally in the DJ booth, and it was uh, it was cool to see that. So starring the big stars of there was, uh, um, was Fifty Cent. Played. He played for an hour. A lot of times I've seen 50 Cent for a little bit. He played, I would say, an hour, an hour and 15 minutes. And then uh, singer 21 Savage was there. But we're back behind it. It's not that crowded. Like when you're literally on the stage behind the DJ booth. And then uh, someone comes there and they're wearing this mask like over their whole face. And you're like, well, who is this person? And my friend said to me, I think that is someone you should talk to. I think it's a start. I'm like, I don't know. I mean, they wear this mask, whatever. And they had, but you know what gave it away? They had 26. And then I'm thinking, what star would be 26? I said, Lavian Bell, maybe. And then he said, when we start talking, and he was so cool. And his agent was there, and he was so having so much fun. The kids watching 50 Cent and enjoy it. He's also a rapper himself, so it was pretty nice. I swear, we're gonna get we're gonna get Lavian on the show. He was so fun. I mean, I was with him for like a half an hour, so it was great. And starts so up, and then ask him the tough questions. They're like, "Why'd you sit out a year for the Steelers and, <laughs> and all those things?" And but he was funny, and he was laughing, and he liked the music, and he was good about it. He was excited when Fifty Cent was performing. And I mean, I've never watched a show like when you're standing behind the person. It's like really when Fifty Cent, like when he came out, he started singing. He must have been like behind the whole stage, and he's walks up like, "Where's that music, you know, coming from?" Next thing I know, he like almost runs me over, like as he's singing and walks out onto the stage which is really, really cool. So I, I like that. And that was that night was just epic. I mean, I got there like at 1030 and didn't leave till four because you just said it was pretty cool to see, as I said, the, the celebrities that were there, Living Bell and, and everything. And that was like, that was so much fun. And that's what makes, you know, that was what makes this whole weekend. So it was it was great because you're you're meeting celebrities and you're meeting the football players and you're talking to people. And, and I'm not going to, you know, running into Lavian Bell and talking about everything about the Steelers. I mean, he was so complimentary. He's like, I love my time at Pittsburgh. It was so great. I love being, because I had a Steeler jacket. Like I wore, like sometimes you go to these clubs and you're supposed to, you know, dress up real fancy and stuff. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to wear my Steeler jacket. Thankfully, I wore my Steeler jacket because when he saw it, he like, his, you know, his eye gets his eyes light up. You know, he's like, oh, Steelers. And we started talking that. So that was cool. And I liked that a lot. So that was, that was great. Is it, would it be like this if it wasn't Vegas? I mean, obviously, you've been to the last four Super Bowl, attended the last four before this one. Is it normally this many celebrities if the game's in, like, I mean, I know Miami is not a great example, but, like, if it's in Atlanta, you know, like, do you, do you get that star power? Or is it because it was Vegas, you think? I think they were, I think they've been coming. Now, I think I, I was there in Arizona last year. I still think there were stars there, too. I think there's more here, a little bit more, but I think wherever it is. On the next, New Orleans, you're going to see tons of stars there. You're going to see tons when it's in San Francisco, then, of course, in L.A. So, really, the next goes back to Dallas. I really, you know, they're not having these games in uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania now. So, <laughs> and I think, you know, so I think that we're Buffalo, New York. I, I think as long as they're hosting it at these at these venues like that, I think that's where you're going to see. But it, it was pretty cool. And it, it, it said these, you know, there's just so many NFL, former NFL players that are there. That's great. Now, did I see Taylor Swift? No. Or, <laughs> but, but it was so cool to, to be in that and, and, and to see and to, and to see everybody. That was pretty fun. So what did you do on uh, Sunday before the game? The guy here. So usually they put the big tailgate party in front of the stadium. But because if anyone goes been to Vegas, you realize the stadium does not have parking. They really depend a lot on Ubers and the people being in the casinos walking over. So they put the Guy Fieri party on like the other side of the strip, more close. We stayed at the Westin. So right actually next to where I stayed at the Westin, which was pretty cool. And on the corner, I stayed at the corner where, remember we had Jeff Perlman on the show who talked about his book about Tubac Shakur? Well, the same corner that we were at is uh, 
I don't know if the two roads, Flamingo, whatever the roads outside, that's where Tubac Shakur was, was shot right at the corner where the West End is. But anyway, so, but anyway, it was, it was like, I don't know, two blocks, 18,000 people. And they had so much food there too. Like as much food as you could ever eat in a million years, all these different restaurants that were there, a lot of Vegas restaurants. And then Eli Manning came out and talked and got Gary was there and go to Ramsey and some other stuff. But that was pretty fun to just go there. That was a nice tailgate to go to because they didn't really have tailgating because there's, there's not really room to do that tailgating. They blocked around where the stadium is that whole area. So they're really, unless you got in the stadium, it was really hard to do it outside the stadium uh, tailgate, but that was fun. And then I walked over to Mandalay Bay and there was still that hope that I would get, you know, someone would say, Ira, you know, my friend can't go to the game. Can you go? And, you know, that if that would have happened, I was in Florida, I would say, I, you know, I, I would never, you know, I would never be so upset, but no one called. And then I just went to Mandalay Bay with a friend and we went and we watched the game at one of the bars that was there right at the, uh, right at the Mandalay Bay. It was pretty cool. They, every, the watch parties were sold. You could get it anything, even in the places. So we went into the small little bar watched it and luckily they put the sound on and uh and it was just it was a big screen tv and just watched it It was like four people in this like lounge off of this high rollers lounge and watched it so that was pretty cool and then uh you know it was that was sort of the, the excitement of the day and i of someone who said they were and i'll like, i cannot find out how it came in with like this pink versace suit <laughs> and he said he was playing and i couldn't get it i don't know who he is and he gets named as a match record or anything and i was like <laughs> racked my brains for an hour like you know whatever you know who is this player and that's that's what happens you look at some players you're like i wonder who that is and and those things but uh um, but that was fun. You really didn't see that many celebrities at that time. And then and it's sort of, you know, the town really cleared out after the game. I was surprised that it wasn't as busy as I would expect it after the Super Bowl. But I think it didn't end so it ended at eight o'clock. A lot of people had early morning flights. You know, they come in on Sunday and they really had early morning flights out of Vegas on Monday morning. So they really couldn't. And they've been out for like, you know, when you're out Friday night and Saturday night and then you're on Sunday to the game and you're tailgating, you really don't have that much energy to go out on that Saturday night or that Sunday night for, for anything else. It's seven. 27. This is Ira on Sports on the True Oldies channel. Check out all these pictures and videos that Ira took uh, at uh, Ira on Sports across social media. Let's talk about the game itself, Ira. Like I said, I, I bet against Patrick Mahomes yet again. I uh, lost yet again, but I did bet the under and I was feeling pretty good after the first quarter. I want to say something. That first quarter, you know, San Francisco goes on, you know, a six play, 248 drive, Christian McCaffrey for six yards. Purdy does a bootleg for 18. Purdy passes Christian McCaffrey for 11. You mean, did that just look like everything that San Francisco has been doing? Yes, you know, exactly. Over the, and I'm like, and, and Christian McCaffrey for 11 yards down to 29. And you're like, they're scoring a touchdown here. Like, this is it. And this is, and I had said going to this game, this Kansas City defense is not as good as everyone says it is. Well, that drive, I'm like, and then he fumbled. Christian McCaffrey fumbles the ball. What? His third time in 450 times he touched the ball. Like, for him to fumble that ball, I mean, just, just awful fumble. And that really was, I mean, again, that was sort of the, the theme of the first half is that, that San Francisco dominated, but they didn't get that two or three score lead that they needed to have to stay on top of that. And then Kansas City came back, you know, three plays, six yards, three and out. You know, Mahomes to Kelsey, that was caught it for a yard. Mahomes to McKinnon, eight. And the San Francisco defense, Drew Greenlaw was running around. Fred Warner was running around. How about Nick Bosa? It seemed like there was no – I mean, this defense came to play. It wasn't like that Detroit game. And then San Francisco, um, you know, four plays. You know, then they had this drive where they – they got in some positive with the penalties. Trent Williams had a false start. 
Purdy to Kittle, but Trevor Williams had a hold, made it suddenly second 27. Everybody's been on Purdy a lot today. He got a lot of those long third and 15s, second and 27s, not forcing the ball, not making interceptions. That's why I thought Purdy played very well, except for that third quarter. But then they took a penny, you know, they punted the ball back to Kansas City, four plays, 10 yards. Again, that's where Chase Young came in and sacked Mahomes. He threw it to Rice, no gains. And then third and 14, he sacked again. That's why that, you know, that's why you're feeling great. You're texting me, you know, like we're on the under, this defense is holding there. Well, you know, you're all happy. And then Chippewa gets this drive down 10 plays, 46 yards. McCaffrey, 10, 7 yards, 4 yards, 3 yards, catches the ball. And then on third and nine on the 30, uh, Purdy to Connolly for 18 yards. And then McLeod down to the nine on the 33. And they're driving in, and you're like, wow, okay, we're done with the first quarter. You know, they're, they're driving down for this. It's, you know, it's 0 0 7 first downs to one first down, 125 yards to 16 yards. You know, passing. Uh, could you imagine what was the odds of 105 to five? That was the yards at the end of the first quarter. And then when the second, you know, beginning of the second quarter, uh, then Moody comes in. And then this is where I feel like you know it's like first and ten on the on the third, Kansas City 33, incomplete to Ayuk. McCaffrey for lost that four yards, and then a third and fourth team. Samuel dropped the ball, but then they had to force it with a field goal. I mean, that really some of those third down. It was three for thirteen in third down conversions. They just did not, you know, that's the San Francisco, you know, missing those chances to really put this game, you know, just to get a field goal there, go up 3 nothing. you know, really at the start of the second quarter wasn't good enough. Moving on, uh, yeah, what, so what happened here next? And this is, you, what you said about Brock Purdy kind of stands out to me because I feel like, oh, he's getting buried a lot by the national media today. He didn't play that bad. If anything, I'm going to blame this more on some of Shanahan's play calling as opposed to Brock Purdy's performance, but we'll talk more about that as we go on. But what happened next? Well, just the rest of in the second quarter, Kansas City, you know, they go, you know, five plays, 66 yards. The key play was Mahomes to Hardman, 50 yards. I mean, this was, this was the biggest pass of the game, really, in terms of from Mahomes to, to Hardman, 50 yards down to the nine-yard line. Next play, Pacheco fumbles. So you're almost like it's a wash. You know, the, McCafferty had his fumble, Pacheco had his fumble, and this is the right after then when Kelsey ran into Andy Reid, and then there was, you know, that, all that was, you know, did he how it, it was weird that he runs. You know, I've seen Andy Reid – I saw him against the Dolphins one time, and you know when their team is on on defense, he was sitting on the bench like he he can't stand the entire game. They don't show him like when he's on the bench talking to Mahomes because he really has trouble standing. Or literally when he walks out of the field, it's a struggle for him to even go from like the locker room. Now he, he looked a little better the last game of the Ravens game, but there are some games where he really has difficulties. When you know he, when Chelsea runs into him, I'm I'm shocked that Andy Reid didn't fall over on that on that play and what he did. But but that just showed how I think Kelsey was like. You know, get me involved, get me involved in the game, get me involved. And this is right around the time Drew Greenlaw, what a terrible loss. I mean, anyone knows that Greenlaw is on the sidelines and just running into the game, and he has been a force the first quarter, and then he tears his Achilles, running just not in a play, just running from the sideline to the game. Just a, a terrible loss for the star linebacker for the 49ers at that point. Yeah, it was. And, you know, for me, I was thinking, all right, you know, between Fred Warner and Greenlaw, they'll be able to neutralize Kansas City's best offensive threat in, in Travis Kelsey. And they were doing a decent job of it. Then when, when he goes out, you're just like, ugh, like now you can see maybe the floodgates are going to open for Kelsey. Speaking of that Kelsey bump, though, any other player in the league does that to their coach, they're probably getting kicked out of the game. Like, you're getting benched for that. I know it's the Super Bowl and it's Travis Kelsey, but that was that really kind of rubbed me the wrong way. 
Could you imagine if Reed did that to Kelsey? I mean, Reed would be crazy. I mean, you can't, you know, no, you're not, if you're a coach, you can't hit a player like that. For a player to hit a, you're, you're, you're right. That it's weird. If it wasn't, you know, it was, it was one of those things where I was with a lot of, with people that were like, that was terrible. Like that was really, you know, that was, that was, that was such a, such a weird thing that he ran right into and how that would happen. And you're right. But Reed's not bad. You know, and they said all the right things afterwards. I mean, Reed's like, you know, Kelsey's the greatest guy in the world. And Kelsey goes, I owe my life to Reed and, you know, all this stuff. You know, it's interesting that Andy Reed knew Taylor Swift before Travis Kelsey knew Taylor Swift because, because uh, Taylor Swift's family was big Eagles fans. So he could knew them through the Eagles and through connections with that. So that was, but I just thought that was, you know, that was a, that was weird. I mean, that was, you're right. You don't see it on a daily basis where you see, like, when was the last time a player, besides someone running behind the bench, you know, with, with, with Tom Mike Tomlin, but could you imagine a Steeler running to Mike Tomlin and knocking Tomlin over like that? That was, that would never <laughs> Yeah, the, the backup guard bumps into Mike Tomlin, he gets cut. <laughs> it's, it's not going to fly. So what happened next? And, and then San Francisco, after that, after Pacheco fumbled, they didn't take advantage of it. You know, Purdy scrambled for nine yards, got a horse collar, but then Debo Samo, this is what you hit the nail on the head. I think the play calling for Shanahan was a little off. Debo ran no game. McCaffrey, no game. Purdy sack. I mean, all we heard all week long, oh, my gosh, Kyle Shanahan's reinvented football. He's the greatest offensive mind. You know, he has a lot of great players, but I don't think he did everything right. I really don't know if he, if he you know, he said, I'm going to have no regrets when this game's over. I think he should have regrets. I don't think he called his game that he needed to have. And then Kansas City gets the ball back. You know, this is where the defense to Francisco. Mahomes was rushed by Chase Young. He intentionally grounded with second and 20. And then, you know, and then Pacheco ran for four yards. They could never get the running game going at all. And then Mahomes was almost sacked again. But that's, I'm watching this game and I'm like, it's 3 nothing. And I'm like, this is exactly what I thought was going to happen in this game. But I thought it was going to be like 13 nothing. It's like Kansas City looked like a team that just cannot, you know, could not protect Mahomes. Their wide receivers couldn't get open and they couldn't run the ball. Mahomes can't do everything. He's not a Superman, which of course he became Superman in the fourth quarter and overtime a little bit. And then San Francisco finally got their drive going. Eighth place, seven yards, Purdy to Samuel, Purdy to McCafferty, McCafferty at five yards, and Juwan Jennings, McCafferty threw for that great 21-yard touchdown pass, made it 10 nothing. And you're like, okay, 10 nothing's good, it's two scores, but you give time now for Kansas City to come down, and they got this drive. And, and this is where they, their conversions on third down. The end of the first half, the third and nine on the 40, Mahomes to Watson, Justin Watson, I'm going to try to get back on the show. Been our show before after he won the Super Bowl. Remember for Tom Brady, we had him on a month later after that. So hopefully we'll get him a month again on this. But then a key third down, Bosa just missed the sack, and it was third and two on the thirty-one. Mahomes to Rice for six yards, and third and five on the San Francisco nine thirty-one seconds. Armstead sacked him. That forced the, the field goal. But ten-three, you're a Chiefs fan. You're like just a one-score game. I think if you're San Francisco, you really wanted to be out more than one score going into halftime, especially when you were you know dominated. It felt you know more than the stats, but you know, twelve to seven on first. Downs, 183 yards to 157 yards. Kansas City has five drives, one fumble, one field goal, three punts. San Francisco, five drives, one fumble, one touchdown, one field goal, two punts, but still 10 3. Doesn't seem so, you know. It just seemed like it was that, and you're happy with the under at that moment. <laughs> I was happy uh, at that point, but no, I t- totally agree with you. They they looked like the better team for the entirety of the first half, and if if the score was twenty one to three, it would have you know would have made sense because it seemed like they were they were in the driver's seat, and you kind of knew between Patrick Mahomes' late game heroics, Andy Reid's adjustments at halftime, seven points is not going to be safe here. So we're heading into halftime, and I got to ask you, what do you think of the halftime show? I, uh, social media seems to be so polarized over this. Some people thought it was the worst thing they've ever saw. Some people loved it. I thought it was fantastic. I'm not an Usher fan. I don't know. I was so into the game. It's, it's weird when you're there. 
I, it was my first one of the first halftime shows I watched at home because we did it last year's Super Bowl. So I didn't. It was weird to watch it on TV. I'm not that much of an Usher fan. I think I think if you're I, he doesn't have the. It was more. It was great with the Broadway production, everything with that. I think people like seeing that. I, I mean, I, I have a problem with it, but I just felt maybe the energy of his songs. But not just him. I mean, his songs are low, are are not as high energy as some other acts would have been. But you know, he brought Alicia Keys out with the red piano. I thought that was a really nice look, and you know, his song "Yeah" is really good. So that's a great song, and he played at the end. I felt like there was a middle of that. It was sort of a. It was too. I, I don't know. I don't think that I would play a ballad at a Super Bowl. Like I think it's hard. His songs are more ballads, and I think you really need to. Have more of a high energy, more activity like that. It's, you know, there's been a lot of pressure at these games for these guys, you know, for those things. But I think that's the that's the challenge. And Usher's hot, and it's good, and and you know, I think it's fine. I, I'm sort of in the middle. It's okay. <laughs> uh, it's Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. You can get Ira on social media at Ira on Sports. Professional tennis player Emilio Nava joins us at 7:55. Going into the second half, you kind of like Andy Reid's going to retool here. And it seemed like, I don't know if Andy Reid's scheme was so much better in the second half or Shanahan got away from his scheme. And that's what it caused. But like, I think it was, what, five runs in the third quarter from San Francisco? Like, something's just not – this is not how they win football games. I mean, this looked like San Francisco. This looked like Atlanta against the, the Patriots. Like, I have yeah. no – like, those three drives, you're – I'm telling you, I, again, this is like – I mean – Cal Shanahan is held out to be, and everyone's blaming Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy is played a good game, a good to great football game where he almost is Super Bowl champion. Cal Shanahan is supposedly the greatest mind you know we have ever seen in the in the history of mind. Like we have seen, like he like he's invented football. He's invented. I mean, three plays for minus two yards. You know, I mean, you know, we had three plays for minus one yards. Then three plays for a minus one yard and three plays for zero yards. So nine plays on, on his first three possessions. He was only going to get five or six possessions. So half your possessions gain no yards. Like it, it, it's just, I don't know what doing. Purdy had a bad pass. Ball start made a second 15. You know, Samuel dropped the pass. Purdy scrambles. Then they had a punt. And then they go, you know, then, then it, oh, oh, this was all after they start. Remember, you, you defer, so you get the ball first. What does Kansas City do? Mahomes throws the interception. That interception, did that happen? Like, I don't think people are talking about the interception at all. Like, that totally. No, they're not. Game. Now, 10 10 3, and you, and you, we were supposed to say, okay, this is Kansas City. They defer, so they get the ball first as a gap. He immediately, on the first bit, throws the interception. You're like, wow, okay. Now, can this be the, where's the San Francisco team that in the second half just blew out Detroit? Like, I'm waiting for that offense to go down there and then make it 17 3. You know, could you imagine how that was felt of the game if Mahomes would have thrown the interception? San Francisco on them like 17-3, they stop them and then go and suddenly it's two-score game, three-score game. Uh, then Kansas City is is scrambling and, and that's where they felt the pressure and it just seems like every single was just awful because Kansas City didn't get the ball. You know, next possession they went three plays, nine yards, going to Kelsey for nine yards and then they had it was third and one and just remember the Ravens game when, when the Chiefs were going down at the end, like in the second quarter and they went on third and one and they got fourth and one and got stopped. It was third and one and then Pacheco ran and got stopped but here they were on their 11-yard line so they had to punt the ball. But, you know, there's times when Pacheco cannot get that extra yard. Like, he is smaller, so it's sometimes difficult. But it was like, then Kansas City got nine plays, 47 yards for Hose to Kelsey, you know, for 11 yards. And then Mahomes scrambles third and four. That was key. Then he ran that bootleg for 22 yards. I mean, everybody knew Mahomes was going to run this game, like ball. Like, he didn't run during the year because he had some injuries. And, like, in this game, he's going to run. And then on fourth and sixth and on 39, then Mahomes, you know, then, Kel- then uh, uh, Butner, but hit, Butner hits a 57-yard field goal, which topped Moody for the longest in the history of the Super Bowl, made it 10-6. 
uh, at that point. But San Francisco gets the ball back again. One of those three plays, no yards. You know, that, just a terrible drive. And those are those three drives that were that were terrible. Kansas City gets the ball, three plays, eight yards. You know, Pacheco at the middle, Mahomes throws an incomplete pass. And at third and two, when it was fourth and two, it almost looked like they were going to go for it on their own 35. They punted the ball. And how do you fumble that? I mean, how when Ray Ray McLeod's back there and the ball's coming, you've got to just clear it out. You can't have someone blocking. They were clearly not going to run that back. And that was just a total mistake on a special team. That was the game. To me, that was the game. That was the play of the game. Because at that point, even if they kick it, they're still, Kansas City had no momentum. And that's what gave them the lead. It was 10-6. And then they made it 13. You know, and then they scored the touchdown. Mahomes to Scanling. That was with two people forget it was 228 left in the third quarter and that fumble I thought was to me that was the play of the game really besides the touch and besides some of those third downs later but I think this would not have been a close game if they would have not fumbled the ball there Ira on sports truly channel on Mike Balsama so what, what's going on now like it's funny that you brought up Moody. Uh, Moody had the longest kick in Super Bowl history for about 15 minutes and then passed. But that was kind of wild to me that 55 was the record there for a little bit. 57 is pretty long, but in all these Super Bowls, there was never a field goal. I, I get that it's been the last 15 years or so that kickers are really starting to routinely hit 55-plus yard field goals. But that, that was just uh, jarring to me. Moody had a good game, but what we got to see early in the fourth quarter was a, a big error on the San, uh, San Francisco special teams. Yes, and Moody. I mean, that was that drive, though. I mean, it was a 13 10. Mahomes, I mean, this is where Purdy, I mean, anyone who wants to say, look, if the 49er fans or whoever, the national media doesn't want Purdy to play for uh, the 49ers, I'm a Steelers fan, play for Steelers, like tomorrow, like like now. Like we did, they got rid of Mitch Trubisky today. Like bring Purdy in, put him in. I mean, could you imagine him in Pittsburgh? They would love him in Pittsburgh. Like having that, that, that fire that he plays with everything. So he came back after that horrendous fumble and Mahomes scoring the next play he comes back with a 12 play drive and you know he threw a bad pass to Ayuk but then McCaffrey for five yards and Purdy to Jennings for 18 Purdy Samuel for nine Purdy hook for 20 and then McCaffrey ran for eight and then on fourth and three on the KC 15 you know they you know they go you know they go for it I mean that was it I mean that play was huge here you are and you know you go you're going for it right you know with, with the 50 minutes to go in the game fourth and three in the 15 they threw it to Kittle I mean, that was a pass to kills. It was amazing. McCaffrey, one yard, and then he threw, you know, the, you know then you had uh, Purdy to Jennings for the touchdown, and they missed. It. And then, so that made it 16-13, you know, all that excitement, everything about that, and then he missed the extra point. You know, people were, you know, it was like one of those things where it's like that, you cannot miss an extra point at that point because that made it, you know, that 17-13 was going to be absolutely huge and could have won the game, and that was, uh, it was terrible for a game that went to overtime. And, and But that was, I mean, it's just weird. It was, he kicked, it was a low kick. And he hadn't missed an extra point all year and since, like, you know, hasn't missed it in Michigan. He's one of the only extra points he ever missed in his entire career of kicking. Just a terrible miss at that point. Yeah, horrible, horrible timing for a missed kick, and it could have altered the, you know, the entire course of the, of this Super Bowl. Uh, so, what happened next? Well, then Kansas City, you know, the twelve play drive, sixty nine yards. There was five, they, it was five thirty five left in the game. You know, for five thirty five, you know, Mahomes to Kelsey for sixteen. We talked about this without Greenlaw in the game. You know, Warner was forced to cover Kelsey. And when Greenlaw left the game with the injury, Kelsey just went on fire. And then on third and 10 on KC41, Mahomes to Kelsey for 13. That was huge. That was the conversion because at that point, you just took, you know, they're down that. Then Mahomes, there was times, no snaps. You know, he fumbled the ball. It seems like the center, there was mixing. Pacheco bumbled the ball a couple times. And then Mahomes threw to watch it for 21. Pacheco game. And then was first and goal. And this was key. This is when San Francisco defense really made that stop. First and goal on the San Francisco four-yard line. Pacheco up the middle for one yard. Mahomes threw an incomplete pass to Rice. And then on third and the four, Hargrave, that huge sacks on Mahomes, made it fourth and six. 
Now, think of this. If it was at that point 17-13 with five minutes to go in the game, I bet you that they go for it on fourth down. They don't kick that. They don't kick the field goal. But by knowing they could tie the game, that's why they kicked the field goal and made it 16-16. I mean, I don't know what you're – we didn't sort of text back and forth on that one, but that was my thought that they would have gone for it on that fourth. No, absolutely. You had to go for it because you can't, can't give them the ball back and, and you know, have the potential to not see the ball again. You, you would have had to go for it, and it wouldn't have been, you know, an easy one to convert. So – Things, yeah, that totally worked out with that missed kick. And then San Francisco. This drive, and this is what's going to haunt them. And besides the fumble, but this is what's going to haunt them. The seven play, this extra point. Seven plays, 40 yards. The Purdy's pass to Jennings for 23 yards. Samuels goes for nine yards. McCaffrey, three, five. Purdy to kill no game. This, this is the play. Third and five on the Kansas City 35 with two, at the two-minute warning. You get a first down there. Game is over. We talk about this all the time. What's the best defense is an offense that holds the ball. Third and five. They get a first down there. There's, they only, remember, they burned a timeout. Kids only had two timeouts. This game would be over. They would run the clock down. Rudy would have kicked the field goal, and the San Francisco 49ers would have been the champions. People have said, boy, look what, look what, look what Brock Purdy did. He led the team on a drive. Today. After kids, he took the lead. He led the team on a drive to take back the lead with a touchdown. Then he came and led the team for a field goal to win the game at the end. That would have won the game. Third to five, and then Purdy, you know, this is where Shannon, they knew they were blitzing, but then McDuffie comes in there. He blocks Purdy's pass. But again, that call was, I, I thought that call was terrible. I thought it was set up. I could see what was going to happen. You saw they were going to blitz. I, I think the call timeout to do something, I thought that was terrible. Now, Murdy, Moody hit a 50-yard field goal to make it 19-16, but there's 153 left of the game. He needed to kick that when there was like 10 seconds left in the game. And, you know, but you're giving Mahomes a minute. Way too much left. time for Patty Mahomes. <laughs> And that was, I just, I mean, that, don't you think that play call was just, you mentioned, that was terrible, terrible play call. So going into overtime here, I, I think San Francisco's got to defer, no? I mean, I heard a great point today. If you take the ball second, not only, obvi- it's very obvious that you know what you have to get. You know, the other team gets three, we get seven, we win, that kind of thing. But you also get a free down because you can go for it on fourth down with, with no real ramifications here. When you take the ball first, you've got to be punting on fourth if, you know, it's fourth and ten or whatever. I didn't think about that, but that makes a lot of sense that you have it's really an extra down to play with. Yeah, I mean, this is that was weird. And if you looked at the final drive, okay, to say we just, you know, lost over a little bit, the fact that you know, Mahomes goes out and does get that field goal and doesn't score the touchdown. Um, and But he went down so easily, you know, nine yards, 12 yards, eight yards, seven yards, and kicked that field goal. Remember, that was a field goal they needed to kick against the, against Buffalo. Remember the Buffalo game at home when Buffalo beat them? And, the, the, you know, that whole, they were all upset. Well, you know, they could have just, they, after the play was ruled back on Kelsey with uh, Darius Coney offside, they still had a chance to win the game and kick the field goal. They couldn't even get the field goal. So at that point, you know, you know again, I think San Francisco's defense was out of gas. And they go there and they kick the field goal. But, yeah, you have to defer because it's just like when you, on overtime in college, you always defer because you want to know what the other team does. Yeah. You need to know. Do you want to kick their field goal? Like, it made no sense. Like, they won the toss. Like, I think people are a little confused what happened. Warner called it. It's not his fault. He was directed by Shanahan. Don't blame Warner for this, this play. And he was directed to say, we're going to get the ball first, but you really want the ball second. But then when you ask a lot of the 49ers, they go, we didn't know what the overtime rules were. I'm like, how do you not know what the overtime yeah, how? rules are? You're all- you're making you about $250 million payroll. You have 10,000 coaches. Don't you think you go over the overtime rules that it's changed? It's different than the regular season, and which is, means that, you know, that, that each team gets possessed the ball. Someone scores a touchdown, someone scores a field goal. It's not over. The rule what used to be that if they – the rule used to be the first, first one score. First score, yeah. 
then it was if the, if the first score was not a touchdown, then the other team gets the ball. They want someone just kicking a field goal winning. And then it changed to this. What it is now is that everybody gets the chance to possess. But you've got to think you go over this. I can't believe that and these I, players... It happens every season. Every season there's a bad overtime loss, and you have a quarterback up on the, on the stand in the press conference saying, I didn't really know the rules. Like, how is this possible at this level? Well, Shanahan just – it was. But I, I guess the players, it didn't really matter to their – Shanahan had to make the right call, but this is why – I'm a, I'm, I, I'm, I just stop blaming, stop blaming Brock Purdy for this game. I mean, blame Shanahan for the play calls and everything. I think he's much more there because they won this. It was third and 13. You know, they were lucky that it was third and 13 and McDuffie was caught for holding. That made it then was third. You know, that gave them first down. It was third and two. And then that Purdy passed to McCaffrey for 24 yards was awesome. First and 10 on the 15, McCaffrey for six, McCaffrey for, the thing is when they got first and 10 on the 15, I thought Kids' defense was done. McCaffrey went six yards, so that was like second, what, second and four. Then he gets no gain. And then this was that other third down play. Remember we talked about it the, where they had it with two minutes to go, that third down and four and five? This was third and four in the nine, and Purdy throws an incomplete pass on another blitz. You know, that's those two, those two third down conversions. You could first there, they get the first, they scored the touchdown. But I think it's even more was that in the half with two minutes to go. But that was, you know, after they only kicked the field goal, I felt the game was so <laughs> I really did. I mean, it seemed like, you know, but it was funny because the, because Casey gets the ball and it's fourth and one and they have to go right. You have four downs. It's four. They went a third and one. It was stopped. They go on fourth and one. Mahomes then runs for eight yards and third and six. Mahomes to Rice. Third and one. Mahomes scrambles for nineteen yards and then to Kelsey. Then the Harbin. It's a touchdown and Disney World and the confetti and everything like that. But that would have been funny if they would have stopped on fourth and one. But I, I more think about the two third down conversions, the overtime one. But most importantly, with the fumble. Uh, on the punt and the third down with two minutes to go in the game. When if they get that first down on that and run a play, like Shane, I'm like in my mind, how Shanahan, you called how many plays in your life? This is the most important play of your life. And he just threw like a, like, you know, pretty just dropped back to pass on a blitz. Like you don't throw, like I was one of the worst, they had nobody in the backfield to protect him. That was one of the worst plays. I, I can't believe that's the play you call with your entire career on the line. That's the play when you could win the Super Bowl. Just, I thought terrible job of Shanahan for that. Just awful. Yeah. No, very disappointing. If I, was, I didn't have much skin in this game, and if I was a 49ers fan, I'm looking at that second half, like, and like, what happened here? I mean, this is this was our game to win. You check the ESPN probabilities; they were like 80 percent going into the half. I know it's only a touchdown, but they looked like they were the team with momentum, and then just to come out flat, and more importantly, get away from your game plan, get away from what you've done all season to beat people, and kind of go a different direction there. Just head scratcher to me again. Like we were in agreement; it's, it's not Brock Purdy's fault here. <laughs> <laughs> and this I had, is clearly not Brock Purdy's fault. Right. And I had a bet for McCaffrey to be MVP. And I'm thinking, boy, if they win the game, I think he would have got it. I mean, they might have given it to Purdy. But McCaffrey, with a touchdown at the end, would have had two touchdowns. He had eight for 80 you know, catches. He had 22 for 80. His first, time, first player in the history of the Super Bowl to have 75 yards passing, uh, receiving, and rushing. Purdy was 23 for 30, 258 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. And uh, at, at that point, you know, in Kansas City, uh, McCones was 34 or 46. 333, two touchdowns, one interception. Um, but they never could get the running game going at all. But, you know, Kelsey, uh, you know, in terms of Mahomes, was nine carries, 66 yards. Pacheco, 18 carries, 59 yards. But Kelsey, nine. You know, this is what they did all year. Kelsey, nine catches, 93. But Hardman, three catches. Watson, three catches. Rice, six. Pacheco had six catches. Noah Gray, two. You know, his ability, Mahomes, to just have everybody involved in it was key. But, I mean, look, they won. It was one of these games where, yes, Kansas City won the game. But San Francisco definitely had their – 
just chances to win this and and didn't. And it's just really frustrating. And I do think that I think Shanahan's getting a pass. That's that. When I think about this game, Mahone's greatness is he's the best player playing in the game. We've said it time and time again. And but he has to. I mean, I will not put him better than Brady because he's not there yet. Brady did this the same thing he's doing. He has to have like another career like this again. And I and if he is on he's on the path and trajectory to pass Brady, but he's not even near passing Brady now. He has, he has to do this for another six, seven, eight years in order to pass. Brady. I, I think the part of the reason is it, it's not sexy when Tom Brady does it. You know, like, first couple Super Bowls were defensive. It wasn't like he's not lighting up the scoreboard necessarily in these wins, whereas we've seen Patrick Mahomes do that. And Patrick Mahomes' regular season performances, he's electric. I mean, there's nobody like him. I think that's why a lot of the narrative today is Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback ever. He's really, really good. But get to get to five, get to six, get to seven, and I'll be more convinced. But I still love the guy. Nothing against him, but Brady's the GOAT. Like, you got to stop with this. Right, but it does set up for the nice for the three-peat. And, of course, the Steelers twice won two in a row. You know, you have the Cowboys that won two in a row. You know, these teams have happened where they won the two. The third is really, really, really hard. We had a lot of teams, the Dolphins, you know, they won two in a row. That third was tough. You know, it's that third is hard. That third is hard, and I think this is where they're going to run into. And But they – you know, uh, there is an advantage. There's more teams they could. They had a more margin error that you can more teams get in the playoffs. But uh, this was this is this is their chance to win to be the first NFL team after like 58 was you know that would win three Super Bowls in a row. So I think that is a little motivation for them this year in terms of come back. And I guess San Francisco, let's see how they recover. You know, Philadelphia after losing that close Super Bowl last year, they did not recover. You know, they started out slowly messing up at everything. They're now let's see what San Francisco does to recover from this loss and and how they're able to get back. You know, back in terms of their motivational and have that. You know, we're going to see it's a favor. These two teams are favored to be in the Super Bowl next year at the same time in New Orleans. So we'll see what happens. We've got just about a minute or two till we have to get to uh, pro tennis player Emilio Nava. What do you think of the commercials, Ira? I, maybe it's just because I was a kid, but I feel like back in the '90s and stuff, these commercials were so much funnier than they are now. Yeah, it maybe is that. I mean, I like the messy, mystical of like commercial playing, and I like the Tom Brady betting. That I thought that was the best one. The Tom Brady betting, the betting commercial, I thought was good. State Farm with Arnold Schwarzenegger was really good, and you know, I think the rest of them. I mean, some of them were awful, awful. The problem is that so many in medical, you know, the people that have all the money are the medical companies, so they were spending money and they're not fun. But I was amazed if I'm going to put a commercial out there, I'm going to make it a fun, exciting commercial. I'm not going to make it boring. Yeah, it, it, like it's that. medical stuff and like financial advisors. You really can't like. <laughs> Where's Doritos and Pepsi with with their hilarious ads that you know were so good funny, for years? But, yeah, by the end of the game, you forget. Like you, you and I both watched so much football on TV. You didn't really at the beginning. You're like, I want to see the commercials, but by the I guess third or fourth, you know, the end of the second half. I mean, you really are you're through. What you know, not really focused on the commercials at all. It's like the normal commercials you normally see. You know, every single time you you know, Timo. That's shopping commercial for Timo. That had to be the most boring commercial. Like you're spending. Like why have these commercials? So I was not. Impressed with those commercials and all. Let's talk a little golf. The Waste Management Phoenix Open uh, is underway. Congratulations to Nick Taylor. The Canadian wins this one. I think this tournament, though, is starting to get a bad rap, Ira. It, it, the fans just get louder and drunker every year. We had Billy Horschel uh, yelling at fans and stuff like that. I think that they're going to start to lose players because players just don't want to deal with this, I don't think. They well, they, it's, it's it's up to their own making. I mean, they could have a loud like we could have like the Honda Classic on seventeen, which is loud. But it seemed like in this case there was a lot of rain, so a lot of players, a lot of fans were put into certain areas, and it just overwhelmed those areas, and people were sliding around, and they were allowing players around. Yeah, I mean, I think already you're not having a big you know group that's going there, but I, I think in the future you're going to see that. But you know they. 
you know, they get so many fans at this event. It's like different, but you know, if that's what they want to do, I I don't think this tournament cares. Like, honestly, unlike the Honda that actually needs a good field, I don't think the Phoenix Open needs a good field to be popular. I think they're still getting the crowd. I don't think everyone's going out there to look at Scotty Scheffler or Jordan Spieth and Ricky Fowler and JT. I mean, really, I think they could have anybody. Mike, you could go out there and I bet you they get 500,000 fans. Oh, I'd get heckled hard on 16. (laughs) Miss that green. They'd be throwing beer at me. It'd be great. What happened on Liv? And then the live was that was in you know that was in Las Vegas at the same time Justin Johnson wins Tyler Gooch boy is Tyler Gooch not one of the best Lydio golf golfers I mean he is like this it's every tour he's in the first two or three he's eleven under and Matthew Wolf remember how Brooks criticized Matthew Wolf so much he doesn't care he switched teams sort of he was third at ten under and Brooks was at six under so that was and Rom was at minus eight Bryson seven under but when it was funny I was at a at a bar at the Westin and you're watching the people watch the golf on Saturday and I thought it was so smart they had to live on. Saturday and the Phoenix Open was stupidly ended on Sunday. And when they were on Saturday, more people were watching the live side than they were watching the Phoenix Open. So I thought that was just interesting from a little perspective that 10 people were watching the live golf and nobody was watching the Phoenix Open. Let's go to Emilio Nava. It's Iron Sports. This is Iron Sports, and thanks a lot today. I'm not excited about playing in Delray, this tournament. It's pretty cool in right in the middle of the city. It's a different type of tennis tournament. Oh, most definitely. Yeah, I mean, I, I first of all, I love playing in the States. I love uh, I love being here in Florida. You know, I got a place here in Florida as well. So I'm super excited and super thankful for the tournament for giving me this wild card opportunity. And I mean, I just I can't wait to just give it all tomorrow and see where my level's at. That's great. You train in Spain, but you actually play. But you're American, but you train over over in Spain. Is that correct? I was I was training in Spain for the last three and a half four years, and just recently I I came back to the states to uh, to train over here. But yeah, I was in Spain for the last three years, three, four years. And your dad is an Olympic sprinter. He went to Alabama, which is a great school. A lot of, a lot of fans of Alabama here in South Florida. And your mom was a professional tennis player also. So that must be uh, fun to have grown up in a family that valued athletic achievements so much. Yeah, most definitely. I got pretty lucky with, uh, with the athletic gene in my family. But uh, yeah, my dad ran track in the Olympics in 88. And then my mom as well played for Mexico tennis in 88. And then, uh, and then my two older brothers also ran track and played tennis. So it was a pretty, pretty competitive household for sure. I saw one of your bios that one of your star, your favorite athletes is Mike Tyson. I guess you have to bring that boxing mentality to the tennis. You know, I, I compare that. I love tennis a lot and I also like boxing and I try my friends who love boxing, you know, don't understand. I go, you really would like tennis because it is one-on-one. It's not a team sport. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, I think, I think it's more about, you know, Tyson's mentality when he'd go in the ring and just and just absolutely, you know, just try to destroy anyone who's in front of him. And, I mean, obviously it's a little bit different in tennis, but you kind of still have that, that same mentality of, you know, when you make adjustments, your opponent makes adjustments, and it's just this ongoing match about who can, who can withstand a few more punches than the other guy. <laughs> Maybe you should come in with Mike, you know, in with the with the smock over and the you know no no merchandise or no advertisements or anything. That might be a little intimidating there to your opponents. But uh, yeah, no, uh, for sure. <laughs> so I saw another part of your bio that you like. I think it's American football, and I'm here at the Super Bowl. So I wanted to know if you got a chance to watch the Super Bowl yesterday. What you thought about the Super Bowl? Yeah, I had to. Can't miss that. I've been missing it for the last three years because I was in Spain and the time zone wouldn't let me watch it. But um, I watched it last night, and I mean, I think I think it lived up to the expectation of the of the Super Bowl. Uh, so I was going for the Forty ers but but you know, it's all good. 
Let's go, Matt. <laughs> well, Matt, Mahomes brings that boxing mentality also to, to the, you know, to the football field. But so in terms of like you came and you advanced through the wild card and was able to win and that got you into the main draw. What's your mentality? You've been out there for a few days playing. You're going to play Marcus Guerrero in the first round. You're going to be playing in the tournament. Um, is it is it a mindset that boy I've, I've been here playing and you're going to play someone who's sort of not used to the court? It's their first match where you played. I think it's a two or three matches already in the wild card round. Yeah, it's uh, it's been uh, I've had a few extra days more than uh, than Marcos, but at the same time. You know, he comes from get, getting in the finals, so he's definitely going to have some confidence. And, I mean, most definitely a tough opponent. So I'll just go out there and play my game and just see how see how he reacts and see if we can have a good little little boxing match in terms. <laughs> and you must be excited about, like, an American tennis, when you look at the TFOs and the Fritzes and the Pauls. And, and it, you know, it, it, it seems like American tennis is... It's sort of, you know, for the men's side, it's really an uptick in terms of these great young players that are taking over the sport. Yeah, definitely. And then we have, uh, we got Mickelson, we got Shelton, uh, we got Kovacevic. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of these younger guys also coming up. And I mean, there's, there's a lot of us between the 100 and 200 as well that, I mean, I think our level is just, just right there. And we just need that one push to break into the top 100. But um, but yeah, I love I love I love where American tennis is at right now. And what do you think from you? You're now in the 100s. You said to get into that top 100 of maybe the top 50. I remember I had Francis TFO on a couple of years ago, and he you know he said what he needed to do, and then he sort he did it because he got into you know became a top 15 player. What do you have to do? You think to make that next step to become you know in the main draw of any tour, almost every tournament? Yeah, I mean I think I think my strokes definitely need a a little bit more job, but I think the bigger thing is is my mentality and having that, that consistency to be there every single point and play that point with, with precision and execution. And, uh, I think, I think, I think I'm lacking a little bit on the mental side, but me and my team have been working on it nonstop. So I think I'm getting there. I think you should bring Tyson into the camp. I mean, he might help with that mentality. <laughs> that would be good. For sure. For sure. When I, when I break top 50, I will. <laughs> That'd be fantastic. Well, Millie, I know you're extremely busy. Thanks a lot for coming on Iris Sports. I'll be out there all, all this week to watch the tennis. I encourage other people to come out, but I can't watch to you know wait to see your match you know against Marcus and and best of luck. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thanks for everything. Great stuff there with Emilio Nava on Iron Sports. Iron, what's your plan this week? A lot of tennis, I think. Yeah, I think I'll go to the Delray. I encourage anyone. It is really one of those tournaments where you just pull up. You know, when you talk about the U.S. Open, you have to park and walk a mile. You can literally park downtown Delray and walk 10 steps, and you're in the arena. It's, the tickets are cheap, and then you can go and have dinner afterwards. Afterwards, And you have, and before, the, the, the field wasn't going to be that strong, but this year you have all these great young Americans that people are going, I'm going to the U.S. Open, and people are paying a zillion dollars to watch Fritz and TFO play and Tommy Paul. You can go see them at Delray for really nothing and, and, and be only a few feet away to watch them play. It really is one of the best things, and even better than the Miami Open to go to. I, I encourage anyone to come out to the tournament. We are out of time. Thanks so much to Emilio Nava. He's Ira. I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. Ira on sports.